Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Well, hi there, and uh, welcome back. Um, my name is Sheldon McLeod. This is Thinking Out Loud. It's presented to you here by the Saltwire Network. And thank you for being a part of the largest independent digital audience in Atlantic Canada. And uh, this is a real uh, opportunity for me to dig a little bit behind some of the headlines that we've had. Uh, obviously, I've uh, been covering politics for a long time. And, you know, stories come up. I've, I've mentioned a few times in the show in the space that... You know, committee meetings don't tend to get a lot of attention unless, of course, you have the deputy minister of health who shows up and uh, talks about how, well, essentially, we're very much more aware that more needs to be done to create a health care system that Nova Scotians need and deserve. Uh, the way we've always done things is not working and the time for change is now. That was actually a quote from uh, the deputy minister of health, uh, Janine Lagasse, uh, and it was about a week and a half ago of public accounts. And the reason I'm leaning into this is because um, the minister of health, uh, once elected and once uh, chosen to serve in cabinet, was given a mandate letter from the premier of this province. And it said, you know, in, this, in essence, here's what we want you to do. Here's here's the task at hand. And, and a government that was elected to fix health care, to offer solutions as uh, Premier Tim Houston has described it. You know, that's that's no short order. Uh, that's a lot to take on. Uh, Michelle Thompson is the Honorable Minister for Health and Wellness in Nova Scotia. And she's joining me now from her uh, constituency office in Antigonish. Minister, it's so uh, nice to see you. Thank you for taking some time today. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And just to look back at that mandate letter, um, and it was very, uh, uh, you know, some of these targets are very aggressive, you know, 18 months to turn around or at least improve surgical wait times. You know, that's just a few months away from now. Are you confident that uh, you're on pace to meet the the requirements that the premier's laid out for you? So certainly it is a very ambitious mandate letter. And uh, at times it does feel daunting. I, I won't uh, I won't say it doesn't. But I also know that we, I feel very strongly that we are on the right path. I've been in healthcare for a long time and uh, we've nibbled around the edges. As long as I've been a registered nurse, there has been um, change is what I would say. And uh, we know that in order to, uh, you know, give the, the province, Nova Scotians, the healthcare they deserve, we do have to transform healthcare. So yes, there has been some initial work done on the uh, surgical wait time. It's not gonna happen overnight, but the changes in the transformation that are happening will lead to uh, a world-class healthcare system and it will create more timely access to surgical, diagnostic imaging and other access to care. Okay, let's just for a second take a, a snapshot. Uh, I think the deputy minister was reflecting on and, and discussing some of the challenges in emergency departments. And you probably know more than I do about exactly the state of what's happening. And uh, people close to me have been getting the flu. People have been sick. People have been taking their children into the IWK specifically, but emergency departments across the province. And if what we have been doing isn't working, how do how do we address an acute situation such as overcapacity in emergency departments in Nova Scotia right today? 
right today. So we always uh, expect and want and support our uh, care delivery providers with expansion plans. So we know particularly uh, over the last, you know, 16 months with COVID in particular, we know that we need to have periods of time where our services need to expand to meet the demand when we see particularly uh, circulating respiratory illness. So always working in the moment, supporting healthcare workers, supporting Nova Scotians, making sure that acutely we respond to what's uh, in front of us, respond to the demand to do the best of our ability. So as an example, um, standing up very quickly since September, a mobile unit. I don't know if you've heard about the mobile unit, it's traveling throughout Nova Scotia and that's averaging uh, on weekends around 75 to 100 patients who are being able to be seen there, treated there and diverted from emergency rooms across the province. So we want to increase our capacity in order to support that as an example. Hmm. But while we do the immediate, we also have to look at transformation in the long term so that we can create a system where we can offload emergency departments and ensure that Nova Scotians have access to care. Which is is a fair comment. Uh, but then I get those notices that say the emergency department at Hans is closed this weekend or, you know, there's several rural hospital ERs that had just not been open. So folks who will say, well, that's that's fine that you can set up this mobile clinic, but there are communities or areas where they feel underserved now. So I know the door was cracked open to discussing whether or not it was appropriate to have 24-7 emergency room care at every hospital in every community that has one now. Is that still on the agenda? Are you still talking about that? So there's a couple things there. I think one of the things that I, I would like to acknowledge is that we know that we recruitment and retention of healthcare workers is a primary focus for us. So uh, we know that we have gaps in our in our workforce, and we're working really diligently in terms to uh, how we address that. So number one, we want to grow our own workforce, and and we're doing that through increasing seats in schools. We're looking at you know offering every Nova Scotia graduate. Um, nurses particularly a job over the next five years. We're trying to um, you know bring some folks back who maybe left uh, for retirement to see if there's ways that they can participate. So workforce is very very important and, and that's going to be a key for our to our success. We know that things are not always going to look the way they, they always did. So if we are going to look at a continuum, we have emergency services, we have regional facilities that have different abilities, right, in terms of the infrastructure and workforce that they have. We need a world-class and have wonderfully trained paramedics in this province, and we need urgent treatment centers. So the data that we use uh, to help us inform um, how people are utilizing and accessing services is really important to help us plan. But we do want people to have the right provider at the right time in the right circumstance. And so that's going to create and, and require that we have a system that's very agile and that we use all of our healthcare workers to the best and highest use of their scope of practice. And, and as someone who worked in the system, um, you know, I, I know nurses who say, you know, retention is a huge part of it, but it feels unfair sometimes too. And I know the story was in the media about travel nurses. Uh, some of these nurses are, are traveling just slightly farther than some of the worst workers who are there now at some of these facilities in rural Nova Scotia. And to know that they're making half as much, that seems like a system that, although I can understand why it was necessary to make that move, it, it makes it tougher, I would assume, for the retention part. You can, you can imagine working short staff and knowing that somebody is being paid extra to come in to help. 
So how does the minister respond to that? Yeah, so travel nursing is really, it is essential to your point. We know that we want to support our, our folks. Um, you know, we, we need the staffing to make sure that there are safe, safe staffing levels. And also it speaks to the gap. We've known, I've known for at least 15 years uh, as, an, as a healthcare worker that, that eventually we were going to be in this position around workforce. And we're not unlike other places across the country and around the global shortage that we have. And so the goal is really to stabilize and enhance our own workforce. And so we, we need to do, again, we have this urgent moment in time where we need to utilize the resources that we have available to us. And we also need to look at long-term, how are we going to shore up our, our uh, workforce? I mean, as simple as 30 years ago, there was no work, if you can imagine, for nurses. I, I couldn't find a job for about eight years after I graduated. And here we are where we need so, so many staff. So there's always the acute part. What can we do to make sure that things are safe and reliable? And then how do we address these longstanding chronic issues that have not been tended to in order to stabilize our workforce? And around recruitment and retention. So we know that money, obviously, we, we're getting ready to, to get into negotiations with our with our with a number of our collective bargaining units. And money is absolutely a part of it. But we also want to understand what work-life balance can look like. It's very difficult to work under this amount of pressure for extended periods of time. It takes a toll on healthcare workers. And so what are the other opportunities that we have uh, and that Nova Scotia Health and IWK has as an employer, not only to compensate fairly, um, but also to look at the work environment and how can we make improvements so that, that, we, that we are supporting our healthcare workers. And I think that's another conversation that's really important for us to have. I'm not sure how often you're updated. You mentioned the nurses who are being recruited to, you know, student nurses and trying to fill that gap over the next three to five years. Do you have a sense as to whether or not, you know, that's reaching young uh, high school students and, and university students who may choose that as a career? Uh, it's difficult to understand who's thinking about, you know, long term or um, healthcare and long term care as a as a possibility of of a place to work. But we do know when we are doing this tour right now, as an example, or when people say, "What can I do to help?" You know, I talk about the opportunities in this province. You know, we want our young people, we want all of our Nova Scotians, but our young people specifically to understand that there is work in almost every single community in our province, and. You know, we hear a lot of negative things in the media about about healthcare, and I want to acknowledge that the system is very much under strain. I also think it's very important for people to know that healthcare uh, is an incredibly rewarding place to work as well, and and being a healthcare provider is is very noble and meaningful work, and it has been a wonderful career for me and for many of my friends and colleagues. And so, again, we want to acknowledge where we are right now. We want to see the opportunity for all communities in Nova Scotia to keep youth and young people here home working um, into the future and, and encourage people that this is a great profession and, and we need their help if, the, if it's something that they're considering. I just uh, got the news released from the, the government about uh, helping international doctors come to Nova Scotia, something that was just uh, announced this morning. Uh, what can you tell me about that plan? How is that? Uh, where do you see the potential in that plan and how will it work? So I think there's lots of potential. So there's a few things we heard on the tour. So when we formed government within two weeks, we went out on a tour across the province from Niels Harbor down to uh, Yarmouth and all points in between to hear directly from healthcare workers. And we did hear from people that our 
registering process uh, was complicated and it sometimes excluded people. And so we've been working really hard, particularly with the, with the colleges in Nova Scotia, uh, nurses and physicians to understand where we can streamline those, those opportunities. So we have folks who uh, were born, raised and educated uh, in, in uh, other countries, right, for their medical training. But we also have a pool of people who are Nova Scotians who actually have been internationally educated as well and need residency programs in order to come home. So one, for those physicians that are already qualified and credentialed, we wanna make that easier for them. We wanna understand how we bring them in, make it easier, shorten the time frame. As an example, um, we were able to, um, and in some instances, take away the requirement for, for mid-career exams to be a requirement in order to register in the province. We can offer, um, you know, restricted license that allow people to work uh, in the province. And we can also look at folks who maybe aren't able to fully credential to work in the role of a clinical associate that allows them also to use a number of their skills. We're working with CARMS, which is the Canadian Residency Matching Service, about how we can identify Nova Scotians who have been internationally educated, who want to come home and work in their home community, and how do we identify them and make sure that they get the residency program that they require. We're doing similar things with the College of Nurses as well. And we're also looking at what is the opportunity to have an Atlantic license so that there is some economic mobility within the Atlantic provinces to support physicians who perhaps want to work in a locum capacity to be able to move uh, and, and you know experience the provinces maybe before they settle or, or just it's a, it's a certain type of lifestyle they want. So we're trying to be very accommodating uh, to our healthcare providers to, you know, um, and make sure that they have an opportunity to come and see Nova Scotia, work in our healthcare system, and and hopefully uh, lay down roots. And and I did note there seemed to be no comment on that release from uh, the Nova Scotia College of Physicians and Doctors. Are they on board with this plan? That that you know you mentioned jurisdictionally, people might be surprised to know that if you're a doctor licensed in New Brunswick, that you can't just come to Nova Scotia to work. Uh, so I'm wondering what what uh, they're saying about this plan. Yes, they've been very supportive. Uh, they've been very good partners, uh, both Nova Scotia College of Physicians and Surgeons as well as the Nova Scotia uh, College of Nurses. They've been very good, very engaged. We can't do this work without them, right? So it's very important that we have partnerships and that we work in a collaborative nature. So uh, yes, we've had very good relationship with the registrar and, and the college and, and they're moving these things forward. We know that the colleges have, you know, at the end of the day, their responsibility is safety to protect the public. And we want to respect and acknowledge that we're not willing to just take anybody. We want to make sure that those safeguards are in place. However, I do think we're at a time and place where we need to examine um, our processes and make sure that they are fitting for the where for the place we are today. Uh, Minister Thompson, um, this tour that you're on currently, you'll be in Digby tonight, as you mentioned. Uh, there, there was some question by the opposition about the process. Um, are you restricting questions? Are you pre-screening questions? What are you doing to make sure it's an open and honest dialogue from people? I, I guess I'll put it this way. Um, everybody who goes to a doctor or a healthcare setting wants them to be optimistic, but they also want them to be pragmatic. They don't want to hear something that's not true. So what are you hearing at these events and how is it helping shape policy and, and the direction of your government and your department. Yeah, so there's a couple things. We are we do have some capacity issues, of course, depending on the venue that we're in. Um, but no, we're not restricting anybody to come. We do, um, there are some folks who can register, but are not, I say actually they're not willing to attend and we have their submitted questions. We take questions from the floor. Um, it's very real. Uh, there's not a lot of um, 
bureaucratic talk at these. We, we're going out particularly to say this is what we're up to. Um, not everything is the same, of course, in every community. What works in Metro may not work in other places. And we want to hear from people directly about what some of their concerns are, but also their solutions. Like, it's very important that communities are engaged in healthcare, and and you know, there's been folks that have asked really good questions who have made some good uh, good suggestions around solutions. And so, no, we're we're not. We've had some tough, tough questions. We've had a couple of tough sessions. So there's certainly no screening involved. Um, and we want people to come and hear a what we're doing, and b tell us what they think uh, we should be doing. It's really important. And overall when we have an opportunity to dialogue in the community, for the most part, we're very aligned. We're talking about access to primary care. We're talking about how are we recruiting and retaining our healthcare professionals. We're talking about the emergency health system and people want to understand what's happening behind the scenes. So they've been very, very constructive and positive, but they've also been tough and, and that's okay. I think people should have access to their elected officials and, and we should be accountable to people to answer those tough questions. I don't want to get into the weeds. There's a bunch of information in that mandate letter, the ministerial direction uh, that it was about governance. And but I, I guess just to kind of bring it all back to home, back home, that raising expectations. And, and I know the premier said it may take more than one term in order to, quote unquote, offer the solutions to fix healthcare. But when when you raise expectations and people say, well, look, the doctor's wait list seems to be longer than it was since this government took over, that there are challenges with so many viruses in, in you know, student populations and adults. All of this to say, how are you managing the expectations of people who come to you and say, well, you said you were going to fix it and it doesn't feel like that's happening. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for us to tell folks what's happening behind the scenes. So it, and I also say, you know, it's going to change incrementally over time. It's unfortunately, it's not a one and done. It's not, um, it's, it's not as simple as just saying this is going to do this, but each of these things, each of the uh, things that we're doing, Action for Health outlines a strategic plan, a, a plan for healthcare that will take time and it's going to be incremental investments. So, you know, when people say, you know, about the, about the need of family practice registry, we talk about attachment and we talk about access and the difference between those two things. You know, then we look at our colleagues in labor skills and immigration, and we know that we've exceeded already last year's, um, you know, immigration of people that have moved to Nova Scotia. We also know that virtual care Nova Scotia is really a great option for some people, not everybody. So there's a number of things that have contributed to that list. Our hope is that it's going to slow soon, um, but we also want to make sure that people on that list understand that they they have access to primary care through Virtual Care Nova Scotia, through primary care clinics working collaboratively with Virtual Care Nova Scotia in order to get the care that they need. It is going to take some time. Recruitment retention, I would say, is our you know, our main focus because we need those care providers here, but also understanding what are the innovative ways that we can support Nova Scotians like a pharmacist and a nurse practitioner working together in several communities around uh, the province to provide primary access as an example. So we're looking at innovation where it works. We're looking as well at um, optimizing practices as an example. We have an optimization team that can go in and support uh, folks in, in understanding how their practice is working and if there's capacity for them to take on more people. And we've had really good success at the Dow Family Medicine uh, practice as an example, that's kind of been the flagship for that program. So when people have an opportunity to talk to us, they know that we're working on things. They understand that there are initiatives underway and we can see early successes in a number of these areas. And, and we know that those will scale. 
Uh, Minister Thompson, I thank you for your time. Is there anything else you wanted to say that I, I didn't ask you about? There's, there's two things that I would like to add if I could. Uh, number one, you know, as we enter this holiday season, we're able to, to gather in a different way than perhaps we have in the last couple of years. I can't underscore enough the importance uh, for all Nova Scotians to be vaccinated, not only for influenza, but if you are due for a COVID-19 booster, really essential that you, you get those vaccines. While they may not fully prevent illness, they really do um, prevent um, severity of illness. And it's an important way for us to protect our loved ones and really considering not just our own risk, but the risk of the people that we're celebrating the holiday season with and, and planning accordingly using the tools that we have. And the other thing that I would ask is that, you know, early on in COVID-19, uh, our healthcare workers were deemed heroes and we were banging pots and we were, you know, really celebrating and, and encouraging them. And I would say that right now our healthcare workers need that as well. We're not, you know, we're, we're in a, a time of, of high demand. Um, the staffing levels are difficult. And I ask that folks who go uh, to seek care, be kind and patient uh, to each other and to our healthcare workers. We need to continue that support. I know things are strained and I want to assure people that we're working hard. And I ask for that generosity towards our healthcare workers because they really are working very hard on our behalf. And I want to acknowledge all of them for that. So thank you. She is the Honourable Michelle Thompson, Minister of Health and Wellness, Minister responsible for the Office of Healthcare Professional Recruitment. And uh, she joined us from her constituency office in Antigonish. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.